beautiful song. We are going to be in the book of James. We're going to be in James a lot, God willing, over the next few weeks. Please turn there if you haven't already done so. Last week, I preached a message that explored the meaning of trials from a biblical perspective. I addressed that very common question, a very important question of how should we as Christians think about and respond to the trials of this life? I stress that one thing is for sure, we will all face trials. No matter what background, no matter where we live, whatever walk of life, we will face hardships in this life. As a pastor, I have walked with people through many such trials. And I can attest that what James calls the testing of our faith does come in many varieties. I've counseled people whose marriages were on the brink of divorce. I've walked with people who have suffered the sudden shock of losing a loved one. I've labored with men who were in a desperate, desperate struggle against addiction. In these situations, it's common for people to express deep confusion. Both concerning what they should do, how, how am I to respond to this, how can I go forward, but also with the deeper question of how to make sense of it all. We need wisdom to navigate through the challenges that we will face in this life. And we need wisdom for a right perspective for our lives. And this is especially the case when we face challenges that can come so close that they feel as if they're going to overwhelm us. Following last week's message which I, in which I encouraged us that God intends to strengthen and sanctify us through the, the dark valleys of this life, today we'll learn that God offers wisdom to all who will ask Him in faith. Please turn to James 1. Verse 5, I'm going to read through verse 8. I've titled this message, God's Gift of Wisdom. Let's read the text together. James 1.5 If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. God welcomes us to approach Him for wisdom, but our request must proceed from an undivided faith. My encouragement for us today is that we would go to the Lord for wisdom with a faith that rests confidently in Him. I have two main points. The first is a promise, this promise which we've just read. And the second is an important qualification for that promise. Number one, God extends an offer of wisdom. James offers this encouraging word to a weary people. And to all Christians, he gives us a promise from the Lord. God promises to give wisdom to His people. Wisdom is not really a part of our daily vocabulary any longer, at least not for most of us. If, if we polled people in Asheville and Buncombe County, for instance, and we asked just average people, what, what are the essential tools for life? I assume that very few people would mention wisdom. 
If we ask people, what, what is the good life made of? What, what, what is the good life? Uh, perhaps no one would mention wisdom, or very few. Many would likely mention following their dreams or, or, or following their heart. Do, do whatever makes you feel happy. Do that and pursue that. That's probably what most people would say is, is the good life. But in the Bible, wisdom is revealed to us as the key to a blessed and holy life. Proverbs 8.35 says, and you've, you surely have heard it, that finding wisdom means finding life and finding favor from the Lord. Wisdom equips us to make sound decisions in life. As we think about all the decisions that we make, work and relationships and family and areas of service and so on, we need wisdom to make decisions. Wisdom can also help us to avoid the many pitfalls that we face that are associated with sin, whether it's our sin or, or the sin of others that, that are affecting us. Sin always leads to brokenness in the end. And we often need wisdom to know how to get up and move forward when we face that trial. Wisdom helps us to resist temptation. It helps us to see through the lies of the adversary. And it helps us to see the emptiness of the lusts of the flesh in the end. Those things that will never fully satisfy and leave us empty. Wisdom can help us to know what to do when we're facing that paralyzing dilemma in our life. Most of us have been there at one time or another. Some of you might be there now. In a situation where you just say, as I look at the things that I'm facing in my life, I just don't know what I should do. Should I do this or should I do this? And it can be paralyzing. God offers wisdom to us in those times if you will go to Him. And we especially need wisdom when we face the trials of this life as we studied last week. That is still very much in the context here. If you look at verses 2-4 through four, as I preached last week, we are, there is no section break. There is nothing to add. This is flowing right out of what was said last week. We don't want to read verses 5-8 through eight in isolation from what James is saying. Our society might not fully recognize the value of wisdom, but as Christians, above all people, we must see its value. And we should pursue it passionately. In the Scriptures, wisdom is closely associated with understanding God's will, discerning God's will, and understanding how we can live in accordance with His will, which always leads to wholeness. That is the key to a blessed and holy life finding wisdom in the Lord. And so James declares to us that heavenly wisdom is available to God's people if we will only ask. As we think about the nature of wisdom offered to us, there's a really important angle here that we need to see, the point that, that James is making. I spoke about wisdom very generally just now, but, but there's a specific angle here. James teaches us that we need wisdom to have a right perspective in light of the trials that we will encounter in this life. One commentator, Peter David, says this, and it's very helpful defining this. Wisdom is the possession of the believer given by the Spirit that enables us to see the world and history from God's perspective. Wisdom, the Scriptures tell us, opens our eyes to see beyond the difficulty of our situation. When we're in trial, we can only see the situation itself sometimes. But this perspective helps us to see challenges as something to be faced and endured. 
rather than something to be avoided at all costs. It is sometimes the case that it's actually the experience of trials that leads us to understand for the first time that we do need wisdom, that we are not sufficient in ourselves. We need God's help. And thus the good news of this text. Another commentator says this, that that we need the God-given wisdom that provides the insight necessary to see the divine purpose behind the trials. In verse 5, James is emphasizing God's character, which forms the basis of our confidence in God's goodwill towards us. That's so important. James declares that God gives to us without any reluctance. English translations have struggled a bit to capture the full dynamic. All translations fall short. If you, if you are bilingual, if you're multilingual, if you know the language, you understand that sometimes things just don't translate quite perfectly. And, and the English language struggles, struggles to capture some of the dynamic of what James is saying in verse 5 when he refers to generosity in most modern translations. It, it's not a bad translation, but it might be better defined as God's unwavering or single-minded commitment to His people. That's the sort of generosity that it is. James is saying that God offers the gift of wisdom without any uncertainty. He has no hesitation to give us wisdom when we go to Him. God's heart is generous towards us like a good Father. We must see that posture in God as we look towards Him as His people. One commentator, Robert Plummer, reflects on the goodness of God's gift, and he says this in contrast. For persons who have suffered gifts or help from a parent or superior who was resentful or insulting, what good news it is to discover that God does not give in that way. His giving is transparent, without reserve or hesitation, kindly responsive to the need of the recipient. That's God's posture as we go to Him asking for wisdom. He gives generously. James declares that God gives to us without finding fault there at the end of verse 5. Although He knows our every weakness, He knows our our, our challenges and all the things that, that make us human in our sinful state, God offers this gift without scrutinizing our weaknesses. He desires to meet the needs of His people who call on Him. John Calvin gave an encouraging word on this very point. He said, We see that the Lord does not so require from us what is above our strength, but that He is ready to help us, provided we ask. God extends an offer of wisdom to His people. But James does offer one important qualification. That leads us to number two. We must receive the offer in faith. James clarifies that the request for wisdom must proceed from faith on our part. You know Hebrews 11, verse 6. You've heard it before. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Such an important verse for us. Basic and foundational Christianity is that our relationship with God must be grounded in faith. Nothing less. Think about it. Our our spiritual life begins when we believe. 
When we have faith that Jesus is the Son of God. That He graciously came to save us. And there we we repent of our sins and we put our hope exclusively in Him as our Redeemer. And we fully commit ourselves to being His disciples until He returns. This is what faith looks like. This is not a form, what I've just described is not a sort of super Christianity that for those people who are really mature or those who are, are especially sincere or devoted to their faith. No, this is, this is Christianity 101. This is day one stuff. This is basic introduction to Christianity that we believe and we commit ourselves to Him. James says that faith is a prerequisite to receive anything from the Lord. God expects that all who call on Him would do so with a heart that is sincerely devoted to Him. Remember what I preached a few weeks ago on Deuteronomy chapter 6, that God calls us to love Him with every fiber of our being, with our heart, mind, soul, spirit, strength, everything. James warned those who might approach God from a posture of unbelief. This person is like the, look at verse 6, the unpredictable waves of a raging sea. Let's read it. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. On October 29th in 2012, Hurricane Sandy hit the U.S. coast with winds in excess of 90 miles per hour. A few days before that, warnings had been issued, as, as is always the case. And in fact, they've been talking about a hurricane or a tropical storm here in recent days, haven't they? It, it, warnings are issued across the eastern seaboard, and the owners of a replica historic ship, the HMS Bounty, were nervous that this storm, which might hit exactly where they had the port, that it would destroy the ship. And so they scrambled to gather a crew together to get this ship out of the port in Connecticut, and a small and inexperienced crew in the rush to do this sailed the ship out of port, hoping to skirt around the storm and make their way to Florida safely. Things like this is, this is one of the ways that you, you handle these situations, they thought. And they ended up running straight into it, though. Rather than it tracking one way, it tracked another, and their own way went off course. The waves battered the ship for hours. The crew was thrown into a frenzy. It was, became chaos. After taking a large amount of water, far more than the pumps could handle to get out of the ship, they, were, they had to abandon ship. And two of them died before the Coast Guard could come and rescue the remaining 14 sailors. The ship sank off the coast of North Carolina about 100 miles outside the Outer Banks. A tragic story. But one, I think, illustrates the unpredictability, the chaos that can be in the open waters of the sea. That's the analogy that, that James has given us here. In verse 8, James described this person as double-minded. He was describing a person who lacked a genuine commitment to the Lord. Instead of single-minded and clear-minded faith, this person stands just on the edge of really being committed. He, he tries to take hold of Christ while also, while also holding on to the world. This is an important theme in James. Worldliness and clinging to the things of the world rather than being committed to Christ. 
I want you to see that, that the person that James is describing, the scenario that James is describing, the one who would approach God from unbelief, this is not a, sort of the fleeting doubt that any of us can have as we approach the Lord as believers. Every one of us faces doubts from time to time. But the double-minded person has a rooted distrust in God. He or she lives with a deep inner conflict in their faith. Does that describe you this morning? Are you sincerely committed to God? Or is your allegiance to Him more mixed? Do you find yourself torn between your faith and between a lifestyle? This can take many forms. It could be that you've made a gesture to follow Christ, but you have just been determined to hold on to sins that are undermining your faith. It could be that your faith is based more on sentimentality and tradition than on a genuine uh, loving and following of Christ. Our faith must be qualitatively different from all of the other commitments that we make in this life. Embracing faith, embracing Christianity is not like choosing a political party. It transcends all the other things that we use to identify ourselves in this life. It stands as the single most important commitment that you will ever make because it has eternal consequences. James's point is, is not to afflict the genuine believer who occasionally has doubts. Again, all of us struggle with doubts. Even Abraham, the, the one lifted up as the great man of faith, doubted God on at least one occasion in a pretty profound way. Reflecting on Abraham's faith, Doug Moo, one commentator, says this, James is not here claiming that prayers will never be answered where any degree of doubt exists. For some degree of doubt on, on at least some occasions is probably inevitable in our present state of wickedness or weakness. Rather, he wants us to understand that God responds to us only when our lives reflect a basic consistency of purpose and intent, what he calls a spiritual integrity. But the double-minded person is unstable in his faith. As James says, he, he's vacillating. He has a conflicted will. He has some thought toward Christianity and yet is conflicted and has other allegiances and devotions. This person's divided loyalty prevents his prayer from being offered in faith and thus it is not answered. When James describes the person as unstable in all of his ways, he, he reinforces that very point that this is a foundational inconsistency in this person's soul rather than an occasional doubt or struggle. What the double-minded person needs is, is not wisdom, but sincere faith. The double-minded person is contrasted here with God's unwavering character that we saw in verse 5. God doesn't respond to us differently from week to week. It doesn't matter. We don't catch God in a bad mood. It doesn't matter what time of day it is. God's disposition towards us is the same today as it was when we were first saved. And that's really good news, y'all. You can trust Him. God's commitment to His people is unwavering. It is precisely because God's stated generosity that we can approach Him in faith 
and He invites us to do so. Go to the Lord for wisdom with a faith that rests confidently in Him. As we think about James's letter as a whole, it is written to instruct believers on how to live the Christian life. It is, it is primarily addressed to Christians, people who are already in the faith. It's not a book of rules. It is a guide to the Christian life. It assumes God's grace in our lives. It assumes our dependence on the Lord's mercy and the Spirit's work within us. But if you are here today and you are not a Christian, meaning you have not put your faith in Christ along the terms that I've described, I invite you to do so today. There is no more important decision that you will ever make. God the Son came to earth to live a holy life that we could never live. He came to suffer the punishment that was due to our sins so that He could deliver us from eternal death. God welcomes all who will come to Him. For those who are already members of the household of faith, we rejoice in this truth, do we not? And we can rejoice that we can go to the Lord for wisdom as He welcomes us with a faith that rests confidently in Him. Let's pray. Our God of heaven, help us to see the world in our lives from the divine perspective. Grant us wisdom that we can experience the wholeness and the holiness in this life that you offer to us. Lord, conform us into the image of your Son. Our God, if there is any here who has not truly repented and believed in you, oh God, I pray you would stir their soul, draw them, redeem them, that we could rejoice. In Jesus' name, amen.